Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Roll for Persuasion, your weekly show where I chat with creatives and entertainers about the nerdy things they love. I have one of those awesome, creative, and entertaining and nerdy people with me here today. We got the trifecta. Very excited to chat with him in just a moment. But before we do, you know, of course, I want to give a shout out to my wonderful friends over at Hero Forge. Um, you, you would think that doing uh, an ad spot for the same company every single week would get older boring but it's not because hero forge is always dropping awesome new content so their their product literally changes every time i talk to y'all they're always uh releasing new features or options on their custom miniature character builder so go check them out heroforge.com if you love to paint minis collect minis play with minis at your table you should absolutely go give hero forge a look because the options they have there are staggering and they're constantly innovating. I love always finding new fun little things that I can do. And uh, sometimes I get bored and I avoid work and just go make miniatures, um, because why not? Uh, You can get bored and avoid work too at heroforge.com. Thank you to them for supporting the show. We appreciate everything they do, not just for us, but for the community. So please support them like you support us. And now I'm very excited to jump in with my guest for today. Um, He is a creator. He's an entertainer. He is a nerd. Uh, Steve Miller from Lunch Break Heroes is here on the podcast today. Steve, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. Uh, You know, I was just wasting some time and making some miniatures over at Hero Forge myself. Uh, It's always a lot of fun, but I wanted to take a break, come and chat with you. So here we are. Well, I appreciate it. It's always nice when you can get the double sponsor spot in like that. So thank you. Um, so Steve, tell me real quick about yourself and what you do and, and uh, just like what, what you're into, what your whole thing is, if you will. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a nerdy kind of guy, always have been. But most recently, I've delved into the world of Dungeons and Dragons and YouTube channels and just all that stuff and been having a lot of fun with it. And yeah, I, I look forward to see what the future brings and doing more nerdy stuff. You know what? There's always uh, more room and more time for doing more nerdy stuff. So I support you in that quest. Um, your, your channel, of course, is Lunch Break Heroes, which you can check out on YouTube. And we'll put the link in the show description. You say recently diving into the world of D&D. How recently are we talking here? Uh, 2018, actually. Now, I've, I've been playing, you know, role-playing games and all of that for many years before that um, not so much in a in a systematic way like D or pathfinder or anything like that i only recently got into dungeons and dragons proper in 2018. and at what point did you decide okay i enjoy what i'm doing i want to do a youtube channel that kind of uh, is devoted to this game essentially so for me one of the sayings that i i kind of live by is that in order to really understand something you have to be able to teach it. Mm. And I use that as a tool of learning myself. So I will learn something and I will try to teach it to others. And D&D was one of those things. I really wanted to get a very clear and deep understanding of the system. And so I started out with a video of, hey, here's how death saves work, just so I could really codify the rules in my own head. And I made a video of it. It was absolutely god-awful terrible. It's, it's no longer on the internet. But, you know, it was a start. That was the start of Lunch Break Heroes. I got a whopping 40, 45 minutes of watch time in the first month. But that's, that's where it all started, as a teaching tool. 
And I mean, on, on YouTube, especially that is so incredibly valuable for people just starting out. Um, I, I still remember when I was getting into D and D, which for me would have been like 2016, YouTubing videos of desperately trying to find someone who could explain to me how spell slots worked, which now it feels like a very obvious like thing. And I'm sure I could explain it well. And I have, but like at the time I was like, I'm never going to be able to play this game because I don't understand this. And it wasn't until I found uh, a video that used, I think a metaphor of like a six shooter, this idea of like, uh, anyway, I won't get into the video, but it's very helpful. And that's my point is that like content like that, I think is, and always will be helpful as more people kind of come to, um, the hobby. Yeah. Was this your first YouTube channel? Was this kind of your first foray into YouTube? Oh, 100%. Wow. I had never done anything quite like it before. What spurned me on to actually do a YouTube video and make that public? I don't quite remember. Maybe it was d divine influence. Uh, who knows? But uh, yeah, I decided to do it and uh, quickly took a left turn away from instructional videos and started making videos on how to tweak your game modules. I was playing Lost Mine of Fandelver at the time, and, you know, like, like all Dungeon Masters, we change the modules to suit our needs and our tastes sure. and what our, our players are doing, all the weird stuff that they go out in left field and tinker with. And I decided, hey, other people might be interested in beefing up their own module. That's what I'm going to talk about now. Were you surprised or have you been surprised at the uh, level of success that you've had so far? Because I, I say this because you, you have a channel with 17,000 subscribers. Your your videos, when you scroll through, are are running anywhere from, from 3 to, to 10, you know, to some 20 or 30,000 views or more, um, which is something that many people, especially so many people, are trying to create content on the Internet right now, you know, struggle to get 100 views. A 1,000 views alone would would be crazy and, and yet you've had um fairly good success in a, in a short period of time what was that kind of a journey like for you well it was definitely a surprising one um i was i was never expecting this level of success you know i started out with the lost mine of Fantalver, and you know all those videos you know they're they're the typical videos you would expect from somebody just starting out making these things i was recording it on my pixel 2xl in my office no professional lighting uh terrible sound equipment and it, it wasn't until I started doing Curse of Strahd, and partway through that series, I started my Patreon. And I actually began to make a little bit of money with this. At that point, you know, I brought the whole production home and created this setup, you know, that you see in all the videos recently. Got better equipment, all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, it just kept growing. It kept going from there. And I've been surprised and humbled with just the support from the D&D &D and especially the Curse of Strahd community that has really come my way. And you're absolutely spot on that it is so hard out there for new creators to make their mark to get that audience and differentiate themselves. And what did I do that helped me stand out and get those views? I'm not 100% sure, but I'm really glad it happened. Sure. And, and I, I actually want to dive into Curse of Strahd with you at some point, but, but I, I do want to, to call out maybe as an encouragement to people listening who are trying to create content and, you know, struggling with followings on, on different channels. Like 
it is perfectly possible to be very successful in a few channels. And, and as far as like numbers are concerned and not another, because, and this is not me calling you out, but for instance, on Twitter, you have like 400 something followers, Yeah. but on YouTube, you, you have 17,000 subscribers and 2000 backers on Patreon. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes people can get discouraged by like, well, uh, you know, I don't have this on Instagram or I don't have this on whatever you might be on. Yeah. Um, and it's more about, it seems like, the audience that you reach and resonate with and not with having pure numbers in every single metric. Absolutely. The grass is greener where you water it. You know, I, mm. I, I don't have a presence on Instagram. I've maybe got 20 followers on Facebook, 400 on Twitter. It's practically nothing. But for me, Facebook and Discord and Patreon is where I have really, you know, tended my garden. And that's where my community has, has grown up. And, you know, especially over on Patreon, I myself am kind of staggered by the level of support that I've seen there because, you know, you typically don't see 2,000 patrons in a channel my size. Sure. You know, I mean, Matt Colville, up until he launched his his monthly magazine, I think only had 1,000. And I had breached that before, you know, at some point. And I'm like, hey, I have more patrons than Matt Colville. And you know, I'm, like, I'm kind of proud of myself. And then, you yeah, know, he's sure. up at like 8,000 now. So I, I've got a bit of catching up to do. <laughs> Did you screenshot back when he wasn't just so you could be like, well, once upon a time, you know, I wish I had just for posterity, but <laughs> right. I, it's lost to the sands of time. Yeah, definitely. Um, the grass is greener where you water. I, I think that is completely true. And, and I think that when you um, as a creator, find the niche or the channel that fits and makes sense for you. And sometimes it might surprise you. You might go, Oh, I was not expecting people to respond to, um, YouTube videos or a podcast or written word or whatever it might be. But then when you lean into that and nurture that, that really is where, um, where that following grows. And and you're absolutely right. Yeah. I was not expecting to be a, a publisher of any sort when I started this out and here, you know, it's become a proper business and, you know, just keeping on trucking, looking to the future and trying to grow. Yeah. I, I do want to jump into Curse of Strahd because, and, and I'll go ahead and say, uh, assume if you're listening, there will be some level of spoilers for Curse of Strahd. But as we will talk about, one of the cool things about Strahd and the Strahd community is it is an almost infinitely tweakable setting. So my game is not going to have been anything like anybody else's game. Oh, yeah. But um, we literally wrapped up Strahd a month ago after playing for a year and a half, I think. And, you know, there's a very good chance my DM watched some of your videos because I remember early on um, when we were trying to figure we finished Waterdeep Dragon Heist, which is another great campaign that I highly recommend if you're into published adventures. Uh, I kind of threw out, well, what if we played Strahd? And, and my DM at the time, um, and shout out to you, if you're listening to this, you did a great job, uh, I think was a little intimidated by kind of the sandboxiness of it and, you know, not as linear and, and what do we do? But then he found the online community and which is just huge, uh, specifically on Reddit, I think, oh, yeah. of people who have said like, okay, there's a gem here, but we need to, we need to kind of massage it out. Um, and they do that in all sorts of ways. But, but what was it about Strahd for you that you were like, yeah, you know what, this is a great thing to really start fleshing out for people? So I started out with Strahd um, almost by chance. My group at work, we played during our lunch break, you know, hence, hence my channel's name. We are the Lunch Break Heroes, you know, kind of like uh, Weekend Warriors, Lunch Break Heroes. Sure. We had finished up Lost Mine of Phandelver, and I gave them a choice of genres. Like, all right, do you want 
high fantasy, low fantasy, heroic fantasy, gothic horror, and I, f I forget what other genres I, I popped out to them. But almost unanimously, they chose gothic horror. And so I'm like, all right, we are playing Curse of Strahd. And thus began my journey down this rabbit hole of, okay, I'm going to read through the module and I'm going to gather up all of these other resources to see how I can tweak it. Because, you know, I, I had tweaked the heck out of Lost Mine of Fandelver, so I was already familiar with that process and the type of communities that come up around these these modules. Mm -hmm. So I went just deep diving and I, 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 you know, I hit through Mandy Mod's content and Dragnacarta's content, and that's where I started. And I wrapped that all up into my stuff, and I began to create videos, you know. One of my first Curse of Strahd videos, I think, was uh, it was either Death House or it was how to bring your your party into the land of Barovia with a, a special adventure hook. And it just it went from there and I started creating, you know, my own stuff in order to differentiate myself from from Dragna and Mandy. And at this point, Launchbreak Heroes is one of, I think, the three major resources throughout the Reddit and Discord communities for Curse of Strahd. What do you think it is about Strahd? And maybe maybe there's nothing in particular about it, maybe all adventures. Um, but there certainly does seem to be, obviously, I, I don't think any other adventure has the level of community and the level of, you know, like secondary tweaking and content around it that Strahd does. But do you think there's something about that adventure in general, besides the fact that it's been out for a few years, that just draws people to it as a, as a thing they want to build on or, or fix in some instances? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of possible answers to that. One of them being, you know, maybe the community's just kind of, you know, it reached a critical mass and, you know, it's got its own gravity now pulling people in. But outside of that, you know, within the fiction of the module, I think Strahd himself is really this charismatic force that draws people in. He's, he's one of the most famous villains in all of Dungeons & Dragons. So he's, he's got the, the name recognition going for him. And unlike any of the other villains in the D&D modules, he's ever-present. You get to interact with him before the final boss fight. You know, he could pop up in your in your first session and you know kick your butt or or tease you taunt you whatever and it, he just flows throughout the entire module plus there's the fact that this is a sandbox and with a sandbox you know you could do whatever you want build whatever you want there's so many characters like the the list of named npcs that i had for my own game was like 80 characters long even I couldn't remember who they all were, so I had to write it all down. And just with a cast that size and a, a land as, well, I, I was going to say large, but Barovia is not all that big. Yeah. But there's a lot in as it. Deep, it's very, there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of depth, and it's very concentrated. There's just a lot to play with. Yeah, that makes, that makes complete sense. You finished your Strahd campaign that you were running with your lunch group? Oh, yeah. Uh, that took us a little over, probably almost a year and a half. Um, you know, we, we had enough of our crew that left the company for one reason or another. 
And eventually I'm like, all right, I don't want to have to just keep pulling in new people at the end of the campaign because that doesn't, right. make, doesn't make sense. And I, I don't want to run it for two people. So let's let's turn this into a home game. And so we moved it all over to Roll20. And then, you know, it it took, I think it took another good six months to wrap up the campaign. I'm curious, and this is where we will call deep spoilers on Strahd. I'm curious how you ended the campaign as far as like quote unquote boss fights because i think book is written ends with strahd which is not how my campaign ended right um, we very much leaned into uh you know the stuff from the secondary community of, of dark powers and you know battling and trapping vampire and doing this whole ritual thing yep. that was fantastic it was one of the best sessions of DD i've ever played but now i'm always curious how people finished their game compared to what we did sure sure um quick quick question on, on yeah. how you ended your game during your vampire fight did you have to keep the the lanterns lit yeah that was mine that's yours okay that's mine yep that's uh, super yeah. cool yes and i will rave so, about that either now or in a second absolutely so um yeah and if you guys like that uh we had uh, some uh, a writer of mine sven truckenbrot who i i work with a lot did a lot of the heavy lifting on that particular um piece of the adventure so if you like that definitely check out what he's got he's got a lot of stuff on dm's guild but in terms of how i ended my game uh we didn't have the battle with vampire it was just a straight up battle against strahd and then you know the the warlock a dimension doored into strahd's crypt because they'd already been there so you know he, he kind of teleported down there with uh, with one of the other party members after they turned him into mist went down there, staked him, cut off his head, and that was the end of the end of Strahd von Zarevich. From there, one of our other party members, our rogue, who had um, become kind of in the thrall of one of the vestiges, stayed behind while all of the other people left Castle Ravenloft and went back to Velaki. He stayed behind. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll follow along. And eventually he became the new Dark Lord. Mm-hmm. And as the party proper were leaving Barovia through the mists that had lifted, the mists fell down back behind them. And then uh, Barovia kind of just became an icy hellscape. So things didn't work out so well for the people that got left behind, but (laughs) our heroes got to leave. And it was a lot of fun. Which is a completely you know, fun twist to take on it. Um, cause I'm going to be DMing um, a campaign for our group now. Um, which started out as me just saying, Hey, what if I ran some candle keep mysteries games? Like before we start our next big one, we're probably going to do wild beyond the witch light with our current DM whenever that comes out. And I was like, well, you know, I'll run some stuff in between. And it went from me saying, okay, I'm going to run a couple adventures in the book to what if I took some of the same people from the straw campaign, fast forwarded us five years and we, continue at level 14 or whatever we were and i upscale everything from candlekeep mysteries and we're just going to play through that whole book and this whole new thing i'm coming up with so all that to say that's what's fun about barovia and about strahd is that you can use it even when you finish as a springboard for a completely new story because with the defeat of strahd the dynamic in Barovia as a demiplane can completely shift, whether you leave the mist lifted or in your case, close it down. And then the world itself has changed. There's so many ways you can take it. If you want that story to continue. Absolutely. And it could take you anywhere. I mean, it's a demiplane. There's no specified origin. If you want to pop back into Eberron, Hey, go nuts. If you want to go to Faerun, no problem. 
any other world, heck, you want to go to freaking Tatooine? It works. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will come back to your um, your uh, lantern mechanic for the the ritual. Um, and if you haven't played Strahd, and again, this isn't in the book, so this isn't really spoilers, but, uh, and I don't know how much came from where or from you or whatnot, but um, the way we played it is that there was this greater dark power that had kind of been manipulating Strahd and using him as like, you know, the puppet almost, and we had to complete this ritual at the end to truly release Barovia. Otherwise, the power would just find a new, um, find a new person. So you do a ritual where these uh, different lanterns are, are going out and there's magical darkness. And I don't remember, I, I don't know, it was a very hectic time. There was like five lanterns in a pentagram or something that we had to keep lit. And what was so fun is that, and, and we'd had a similar ritual interaction uh, trying to uh, consecrate one of the fanes previously in Barovia. So we had this kind of idea going in, okay, it might be similar to this ritual battle. And then that mechanic made it so much different because it changed the dynamics of who had to do what in the party. And I think that that is a super interesting thing that um, published adventures don't always explore. They, they tend to seem to be focused on how can we reduce resources and, you know, put put the players in an edgier position versus how can we really challenge the assumptions that the players are making about the roles they will take in a given fight. Uh, and it ended up working out. I, I was a monk and so I could run 60 feet around um, but I went from being the guy who was going to stun the big bad and, you know, keep everything kind of controlled to like, I was the one barely getting a lantern lit back before the next round ended. So I just thought it was an incredibly fun mechanic, um, that really shifted the narrative and dynamic of our session. And so, you know, tip of the hat to you. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. A lot of work and, and testing went into that piece of the adventure to make sure that it was, uh, a really worthy end cap to the whole thing. Before we move on from Strahd, is there anything else um, that, that you have originated or, or, or your team that I might not be aware of that tend, the people tend to use and integrate into their own games now? Oh man, uh, a lot of people I hear have adopted my performance of the Abbot. Um, I hear that's, that's really popular nowadays. You know, he's just this creepy guy that he doesn't really understand. He's so used to communicating telepathically that talking is this really strange experience for him. And he doesn't get it quite right. Mm. I took a lot of inspiration from G-Man from Half-Life, if, you, if you've ever played that, to where his, his cadence is really broken up and he's got emphasis on all, you know, all the wrong pieces of the word. So it's, you know, it's like, hello, welcome to the Abbey. Do you have a spare face for Vasilka? And, you know, that seems to really unnerve a lot of players. And I, I you know, mission accomplished because he's, he's a really creepy character and one of, one of the most fun that I've ever portrayed in that game. Yeah, that was one of the other kind of top interactions uh, for us as well. And I think there was some inspiration in our game drawn uh, uh, from that performance. He, he was certainly like a, a, a creepy just it, it was an intense way we ended up fighting him because it's D and we tend to kill things that we run into yeah but i, I think we integrated to like a, a found journal of his showing kind of a journey of madness uh for the character that i thought also added some depth that we as players dug into later so yeah just the whole the whole campaign is just full with these full of these potentially very rich and deep npc interactions and story moments and so it's just a great um trove for for someone to mine and build off of yeah 
there's a lot of tragedy and, and backstory that you can really bring to the fore, or, ver or at the very least pull from as inspiration to run the game. So you've been doing uh, a lot of Strahd. You still have Strahd videos ongoing that people can go and check out, um, you know, regarding Ravenloft and all sorts of different things you can do in there. Uh, it, it seems too like there there has been some good recent content from from Wizards of the Coast um, addressing that. Obviously, the new uh, the new Ravenloft book that came out just a couple months ago, and then it sounds like the new Wild Beyond the Witchlight might have some some ties at least to that domain as well. What have your thoughts been about the new uh, the new content that's come out and that is coming out down the road? Yeah, I have not actually looked into Wild Beyond the Witchlight. I'll be perfectly honest. I know nothing about that title beyond the title. But Van Richten's Guide was uh, a book that I was really excited about. So I, you know, I got it as early as I could. Unfortunately, I couldn't get an advanced copy. I, apparently, I don't warrant that, but that's okay. And you know, I, I read through it as quickly as I could to see if I could you know, come up with any new content. Which, by the way, we've got a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline in regards to Van Richten's Guide. And I like it. I think it's a great book, at least from my perspective. I could see why a lot of people wouldn't care for it, though. You know, Van Richten's Guide has a lot of cool ideas in it, some, some nice character options, and good background on the, you know, the Mistwalkers, Van, you know, Van Richten, and the uh, Foxgrove twins and all of that. But in terms of the domains themselves, I can see people being pretty disappointed. It's like it's ocean's breadth, but teaspoon depth. There's not a whole lot of in-depth information there. You basically, as a DM, you've got to make everything up. So it's like, hey, here's cool stuff, work more. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which for me is perfect, because then I could come up with all of this content to add that depth. But, you know, until we do that, you know, dungeon masters are, they've got to come up with their own stuff or, you know, find other things. In your journey of growing a YouTube channel and generating content, um, what has surprised you? as you've been working, what, what, uh, what were you, you know, beyond like success or views or whatever it might be like, what, um, what was unexpected that you've gotten to experience as you kind of do your show and, and release your content? Unexpected is what was unexpected was kind of the, the fluctuations of an audience, what they're interested in, how the algorithm of YouTube promotes content. And then, of course, you know, there's all the, the back-end stuff of actually building and running a business. That was kind of unexpected, too. But um, I think for, for me, the big one is having to contend with the, the YouTube algorithm in, in order to get content out there. And, yeah, have it, you know, how do you find that audience if this faceless computer doesn't put your stuff in front of them. Right. Do you feel like you've had to shift how you want to do things or how you want to present content to like be more compatible with whatever the algorithm might expect of you? Um, yeah, a little bit, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. The, the YouTube algorithm is what well, it's, it's proprietary and trademark. So everything I say is complete conjecture, but you know, it's, it's geared towards keeping people on the platform. So they can, of course, watch more ads. And how do you keep people on the platform? Well, you create interesting content. What is interesting content is entirely subjective. And sure. you know what, what I find interesting, what I want to talk about is not necessarily what everybody else wants to listen to. 
So there's a, there's a bit of a shift in in some of the more you know dry content that I I would have normally produced a, a year ago, and trying to make things that are a bit more you know visually appealing or um, just more fun to listen to these days. So uh, a bit a bit of a shift, but not necessarily a bad thing. And then you know there's coming up with content for. Uh, different modules that maybe people don't play as much, like Rime of the Frost Maiden. I made like three or four videos for that, and basically nobody watched it. So I kind of had to pull my focus away from that and, and back into Ravenloft. I am curious if, like, eventually, you know, Rime of the Frost Maiden intrigues me very much as like a survival horror. I, I believe is what it is. I haven't read it or played it. Um, and so I wonder if given enough time, if that attention and community will develop around it eventually or, or Waterdeep Dragon Heist is another one that I, I feel mm. like I don't hear people talk about a lot, but I thought was just such a fun and flexible adventure to play. And so I, I just wonder if, if the, the key ingredient is just time or if as wizard starts upping their production schedule and pushing more content out on their end, if people's attentions are just going to shift and stuff's going to get less left in the dust versus refining something because it's all we have right you know uh, that's unfortunately a question that has no definite answer i think time is definitely a factor mm -hmm. um i i've i've made it a rule that i am not going to create content for you know no no day one guides for brand new modules yeah. because nobody's looking for that there's no there's literally no audience nobody's even read the book at this point or, and nobody's running the game. They've got to. They've got to finish the games that they're currently running. Right. Yeah. So, so you know, at least a year or so has to pass before I'm going to touch any of these books and provide guide content. Um, but then there's, you know, how many people are actually buying it? How many people are playing it? Is it popular? And for Rime of the Frost Maiden, I don't know. Maybe it will become popular. I don't ever see it becoming as popular as Curse of Strahd. A lot of that due to the the marketing behind it didn't quite match mm -hmm. up to what was actually delivered but uh you know there's a lot of other factors in there and i don't want to spoil it for you or anybody else but uh i don't i don't see rhyme of the frostbane becoming the big juggernaut of wizards 5e lineup sure do you think there is there a is there a sleeper hit out there that you think not enough people play or that people don't realize is as good as it is um, that you think deserves more attention as far as like officially published uh, adventures? You know, I, I, I honestly, no, I, I think everything yeah, I is... Say, the answer can be no. Yeah, the answer is no at that point. I don't think there's really a sleeper hit out there. Um, there's enough readership and enough talking back and forth between a lot of the DMs that, you know, we all kind of know what the quality of everything is right up front. Mm. That makes complete I mean, sense. If, if, if there is sleeper hits... You know, they're going to be found on DMs Guild. It's going to be third-party content. Right. Which, and this is a whole other thing. I've thought about making my own content about this, but, and this is just kind of my own side. I don't want to call it a rant, but um, I struggle as a player because there's so much awesome third-party content out there. There's some classes I'd love to play. Um, Matt Colville put out some recently that um, look really, really fun that I realize I will probably never play because I use D&D &D Beyond for everything. And I am so hooked into how easy it is 
to calculate things and I just add the item and it goes ahead and calculates my modifiers and I can just focus on playing that like I probably won't like which is dumb I could easily play a class on paper but like I've just you know they've made such a good product that I have a hard time wanting to not do something that has that level of integration and so um you know maybe in a perfect world someday they open up to third-party content not at any time while they have the wizard's license but you know we'll see but that's my struggle with playing some of that awesome uh you know dm skilled third-party content out there yeah absolutely i think um i mean you can add homebrew content to DD beyond but then you know that's just one more hurdle that you have to and it's not it doesn't always work right it's a little janky trying to do it yeah Mm -hmm. definitely but yeah and that's uh one of the reasons i i kind of miss in-person games you know just sitting around a table not a laptop in sight everybody's phones are put away just a piece of paper in front of all of the players and that's it and, you know you had that infinite flexibility you weren't beholden to D beyond's limitations and sure. yeah just a whole lot of imagination yep i get that well, I want to take a real quick second before we continue this conversation to uh, say thank you to another one of our fantastic sponsors. And those are the folks over at Die Hard Dice, Todd and Jesse and the whole crew over there um, are super, just super duper great, phenomenal, phenomenal human beings. And they make phenomenal dice. So you should go check them out, dieharddice.com. Get yourself a set. They have some new sets dropping pretty soon that are pretty exciting. They've been doing great collaborations with people in the community. Uh, friends of the show like Jenny D just dropped a really great set that sold out really quick. So sorry you can't get it. But keep an eye out because there's more coming. And you can, of course, support the show by using the code ROLLPERSUASION at checkout to save 10% on your dice. But I highly encourage you to go and support awesome makers in the community because it's a great community full of great people. So go to dieharddice.com to check them out. I'm curious, and it's funny because typically I think I do this near the beginning of an episode, but we, we dove into the, the kind of richness of Strahd and content so quick. I, I didn't, I didn't think to ask it, but I'm curious what your, uh, your quote unquote nerd journey is. You said you came to D and D, you know, kind of in 2018, what precipitated that? How did you get into gaming in general? Um, was there kind of a moment, like a first game you remember, Oh, I played this and realized I really like tabletop games. Like what, what was your, you know, tipping point? Sure. Yeah. Um, well my gaming journey, uh, starts, you know, outside of tabletop gaming. Um, as, as I think many people do this day and age, my, my journey started with PC games. When I was a, a young child, my dad was playing doom on windows 95 and I got to play it. And that's really where my, my love of games started. And it just, you know, it grew from there. I was a huge PC gamer in, in my, my, you know, my youth and my early teens and all of that. And then in 1999, my friend introduced me to role-playing in AOL chat rooms. And that was just a huge game changer for me. It opened up basically a new chapter in my life. I dove into that head first. I was terrible. I was annoying. I was a slow typer, but um, all of, I, all of that got better. I hope, at the very least, I'm a much faster typer now. And you know, out of that came my love for embodying these these other characters in these other worlds and telling collaborative stories. There was no hard and fast system behind any of it, but the spirit of it was there. And eventually, you know, AOL chat rooms fell by the wayside. Um, you, know, you can't really find those anymore. 
pour and one out for AOL. Sure, yeah, pour one out for AOL. Um, welcome, you've got mail. And I eventually moved on to uh, MMOs like Star Wars Galaxies, which had a really rich role-playing community there. You know, role-playing you know, has come and gone out of my life several times for, you know, sometimes for years at a time for one reason or another. And it was back in 2018 that I got the itch to tell a collaborative story again. And it, you know, it came back and it hit me hard. And I'm like, I really want to sit down and do this again. But I, I don't want to do it in quite the same way because, you know, I, I, I'm not going to lie, I kind of hate MMOs nowadays. And <laughs> you, you can't find... The, the old chat rooms. There's MUDs, certainly. Those are fun. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to do it differently. And one day, I looked at my wife and I said, we should try Dungeons and Dragons. And I got, huh? <laughs> it took a few months of convincing. Um, yeah. But eventually, we, we got a little gaming group together with me and her and a couple of other friends around our dining room table. And I had the starter set. My, my Dungeon Master screen was just the the top of an amazon box that i had cut off you know I was, I was doing everything on the cheap here but we sat down we played and from the moment the the first dice were rolled from the moment that i i read out that introductory box text i knew that this was this was an experience that i loved this was a game that i loved everybody else they were kind of eh. um that session you know that game group only lasted a few more sessions but i was hooked and, you know, from there, I created my, my group at work, and then out of that grew the YouTube channel, and, you know, here we are. Kind of a fun, crazy journey. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how, and I've talked about this with a lot of people, how D&D um, &D and tabletop and role-playing inspires us not just playing at the table, but also in like wanting to pursue it either, either in content creation or making a business or, or for many of us as an actual job. Um, and I think there is something very like unique about the storytelling aspect and the collaboration that it inherently involves. It just kind of inspires people to say, okay, I'm going to take this beyond just what I do at the table. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's no accident that so many actors out there, for example, you know, credit, Dungeons and Dragons as you know one of their inspirations you know from from when they were younger uh, a lot of, it really speaks to the creative piece in in all of us in that we can you know embody these strange different characters and imagine this other world and it directly translates into say acting for example or it it inspires other creative pieces of us. Like for me, it's storytelling and helping others tell better stories. Um, other people, you know, they, they write books. You know, if you're, if you're just DMing for yourself and you write it all down, they call you an author. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and speaking of um, authorship, you actually recently, in, in your journey of playing and content creation, you recently had a, a successful Kickstarter for a product called the Deck of Many Quests, right? That's absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to make a thing, so I did. <laughs> I figured out how to do it. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's available for purchase over on Indiegogo. We successfully raised you know $56,000 on a $20,000 goal. 
and uh, I've, I've got a whole lot more copies of the deck of many quests that I need to sell. Otherwise, I have to warehouse them. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very <laughs> eager to get rid of them. What kind of like brought that, you know, you, you said you decided that you wanted to make a thing. Why did you want to make a thing and why this thing in particular? Well, um, again, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the genesis of the idea was or, or the desire to make it. But just one day I got, I got the idea of, you know, Cards Against Humanity meets Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, Dungeons Against Humanity. I probably shouldn't call it that, lest I want to cease and desist sure. letter. Um, but I really wanted to take the idea of Dungeons and Dragons adventures and quests and all of that and pair it up with this emergent sort of storytelling adventure building mechanic where, you know, you've, you've got a quest prompt and in it, it has these blanks where you have, you know, blank item and blank creature and you could draw additional cards and create this totally unique thing you tie it all together with a little bit of imagination and you've you've got something that is entirely unique to you so just giving inspiration to game masters everywhere not just for dungeons and dragons you know i intentionally kept it system agnostic there's no mechanics or or stat blocks or anything that would tie it to a specific system so it's really it's a tool for everybody and I kind of asked this question already, but I'll, I'll twist it into this. What were you not expecting that you ran into as you went through the process of kickstarting and creating and fulfilling a, a physical product? Man, shipping is expensive. Kind of figured that would oh be the one. I work gosh. in e-commerce, so that's the bane of my existence. Oh, yeah, especially getting it on a ship across the ocean. Holy moly. Ah, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, getting getting stuff to people's doors costs a lot of money, and uh, I wasn't quite prepared for all of that. But in addition to that, you know, just the, the vagaries of Kickstarter and, and the pieces of that mm -hmm. that don't quite work out as well as I thought they would, but that that's a whole separate bag of worms that, uh, that you probably don't want to talk about here. Do you think you'll ever uh, do it again? Make another another product or game aid like I, this? I would love to do it again. In fact, I, you know, I've got a couple irons in the fire. Uh, one of them's an expansion to the deck of many quests, but uh, you know, shipping shipping's really kind of the the limiting factor on that one. So I'm looking for more of a domestic um, solution to that. But also, um, I'm I've got a book in the works. It's very early stages, um, but I, I want to create content for evil aligned parties because okay. almost all adventures out there really assume that you're heroes, you're paragons of virtue. You're going to go in and save the day and everybody's going to be happy. Yeah. Maybe one or two characters is, is a bad guy and they're, they're coming along just grumbling like, oh, I guess I'll help out whatever. But I, I see there's certainly no official content where it's like, yeah, you're not nice people. Here's your adventure. And I, I really kind of right. want to fill that void. I think that would be very fun. My, my monk in Strahd was uh, lawful evil. And I think that, um, you know, and, and this is not a, a, a negative on, on my party members or, or our group, but I think there was an assumption of like evil equals well, like chaotic evil. Like this is a character who is going to be rude and mean and killing and all this stuff. And like in my mind, lawful evil, the way I played it was far more about like, I have a goal and an order in which I follow and uh, collateral damage is secondary. Oh, yeah. Like I'm not seeking that, but like me, yeah, I'm certainly here <clears> to, you know, 
achieve a goal. And even the people in my party, I will care and protect because they help service towards the goal. And, and I think there is a lot of nuance in the evil alignment that, um, mm-hmm. that we haven't really delved into. So I'm, I'm very interested for whenever you do this. Yeah, absolutely. Evil characters are a really interesting concept for me. I mean, good characters, we see them so often in popular media that it's really easy to portray them because we're all very familiar, but bad people as protagonists is kind of a foreign concept to a lot of us. And so embodying them as, as characters is very difficult. And yeah, a lot of people, they, they, they fall back on the chaotic evil. I'm just going to kill everything. And it doesn't work in a collaborative game. And like you said, you know, you've got to take a more selfish approach to things. Um, it says lawful evil, but <clears throat> are they really evil in that case? I, I think that's just a label, it, you know, on your alignment chart. To, to have that evil character, they really just have to be super selfish and, or have a very small in-group mentality, whereas a normal person would have a, a much larger in-group, you know? Yeah, I care about the villagers here and their well-being and whatnot because that's the right thing to do. Whereas your evil character's like, yeah, I care about these three people. All of you, you can burn. I don't care. Right. And I think people when making good characters will often use like quote unquote evil aspects to give them depth or personality, but then not realize that you can do the exact same with a quote unquote evil character that who can have maybe some good aspects that give them some depth and personality Absolutely. while still being a morally not great person. Yeah. And, um, and because as, as soon as you do something nice as an evil character, someone's like, Oh, are you good now? It's like, well, no, like you're a good person who also murdered 30 people yesterday. Like, like Like, there's, there's a range here. Yeah. You just beheaded 30 bandits. They all had families. You know that, right? Right. They lived here. Do you see those crying people over there? That's their widows. Yeah. Like, and, and so I think exploring, like realizing that you can explore that going both ways mm-hmm. um, really gives you a lot of room in, in developing your characters and playing fun things. So uh, I'm very excited for whatever you're going to do with that. Great. Uh, yeah. Uh, hopefully we can get that out uh, sooner rather than later. You know, the, the shipping is tricky, especially in COVID times. If you're trying to do anything importing from overseas. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Best of luck to you because you're probably not. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's going to be a mess, but you know, we'll handle it. We'll get there. Well, thank you so much for, um, joining on the episode. Uh, I've, I've been watching, you know, some of your videos and, and I was avoiding a lot of them so as to not spoil my own campaign. But now that it's passed, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying kind of discovering what parts of Barovia we didn't see or what things people didn't do. And just for purely educational content, I'm excited. So, um, besides YouTube and we'll put a link for that or, or say it right now, we'll put a link for that in show notes, but where can people kind of find you and follow your content and keep up with what you've got going on? Yeah. YouTube.com forward slash lunch break heroes. We're there. All the videos are there. And if you want written versions of these guides in beautifully typeset PDFs, head over to patreon.com forward slash lunchbreakheroes. For just a dollar, you get access to our entire back catalog. So, you know, it's all there. One dollar, you get a whole bunch of content to download and keep forever. And that's pretty great because not everyone has time or is interested in sitting down and watching a video. So having the information be accessible in both ways is pretty cool, especially if you're trying to like have it at your table and just like whip out a piece of paper or a PDF as a reference versus like, hold on, let me watch a video real quick. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a really, that's a great, I don't know too many content creators that do that. So thank you. Yeah, no problem.
And of course, everybody, you know that you can follow and keep up with the show at uh, twitter.com slash rollpersuasion, rollpersuasion.com are the two best ways to get a hold of us, and patreon.com slash rollforpersuasion, where you can support this show. Um, support as many Patreons as you want, specifically these two. If you're uh, if you're looking for something fun to support and, and back this week, why not? Um, but if you do at patreon.com slash rollforpersuasion, you get access to the Zone of Truth segment, which is a free-for-all segment with my guests where we chat about something. We usually make it up on the fly. I ask my guests, what are they excited about? What hobbies are they into? What's a fun thing they've picked up recently that they could talk about for hours uh, and then give them 15 minutes to actually do that? Um, so Steve, what are what are you into right now? What's kind of on your brain that you think you would like to chat about in the in the zone of truth? You know what? That is, that is a really hard question. And you, you may empathize this as the parent of a toddler, but man, my hobbies have really kind of fallen by the wayside. It's pretty uh, limited right now. It really is. I mean, between, you know, doing the YouTube and the Launch Break Heroes and day job and then, you know, being, you know, a dad, um, not a lot of time there. But when I do occasionally get some time to myself, um, I like to read. Um, big fan of books, you know, if, if, you know, being a storyteller didn't make that clear. Or, you know, obviously your listeners can't see me on video here, but you can see the, the shelf of books behind me. This is a fraction sure. of our, our library here at home. So, yeah, I, I love to read and uh, just cross genres. Anything I can pick up that doesn't make me want to put it down in the first 30 pages, um, I, I'm very eager to devour then that is what we're going to discuss. We're going to chat about uh, books, what you enjoy reading, what it is about them that catches your attention. And uh, what I'm always curious about is like, like what are the books that you have felt, if you felt this way, like heartbroken when they end because it was such a good story that you're not going to be able to come back to. Sure. Uh, we'll talk about all that and more in the Zone of Truth uh, right after this. So if you support on Patreon, keep listening because that's still coming. And if you don't, why not? Go check it out. But regardless, I appreciate that you listen to the show and you take the time with us each week. Thank you, Steve, for joining. Uh, it's been fun talking with you, and I'm excited that we're going to talk a bit more here in a few minutes. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And hey, everybody, check out the Zone of Truth. Be there, be square. Indeed. And until next time, guys, this has been Roll for Persuasion, and enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.